Hello, friends. Welcome to the Connected Families podcast. We are glad that you tuned in today. Connected Families and this podcast is about supporting you to parent with confidence and learn to lead your family with grace. Back to School Talk raises lots of different emotions in both parents and children, even in typical years. This year, going back to school could look all sorts of ways, depending on where in the world you are. Some are going back to school and going back to school building after being virtual for over a year. Some are still virtual and contemplating a repeat of school at home. I think of some homeschoolers who have had minimal changes and might be feeling like it's going to be more typical. Well, no matter the way school is going to look for your family, anxiety could play a part in your children's experience. Today, we are going to talk about anxiety and back to school with Lynn Jackson, co-founder of Connected Families and Jess Sinarski, author of the new children's book, Riley the Brave Makes It to School. Jess equips parents and professionals to be healers for hurting children. Hello, Lynn. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thanks. Good to be here. So glad you're here. And hello, Jess. We're so happy to have you joining us today, especially for those of us in the U.S. who are thinking that, you know, school is right around the corner. It is. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're so glad that you're here and you sent a copy of your book ahead of time and it's beautiful. The artwork is gorgeous. Such, such good messages in there. Tell us what your background is that led you down this path of educating parents and teachers and others around brain science of trauma and anxiety. You bet. So my, my background is in mental health. I went to graduate school for counseling psychology. And even while I was still in graduate school, I started working in foster care and realized I didn't know what I needed to know to be helpful. That became extra clear when I um, sort of hit the ground running and worked at a, at a large agency in the Bronx, in the South Bronx in New York City. And again, did not know what I needed to know to be helpful. And that just continued my lifelong search for search for what was going to to meet the immense need that I was that I was sort of thrust into that broken systems and generational trauma and what I came to learn as you know brains that had been wired for defense brains that had been wired to protect the self even against or you know even in relationships that might be helpful and so the more that i learned about interpersonal neurobiology that or developmental neuroscience the the ways that we are made to connect with each other from before we're born the more that i saw where we needed where i needed to go in my work with families and as i put the things i was learning into practice i saw things shift so much so that I I couldn't see all the families that were on my wait list. And so that really, I've always liked teaching, but that really cemented the idea that I'm I'm called to equip. So I can I can equip the families that I see in therapy, but there's more that I feel like God has given me in a way to talk about this that really makes sense for families and parents and professionals. And so that is why I founded the organization Brave Brains and work all over the US and the world virtually to help people understand what is going on in our bodies and brains that make us act the way that we're acting. 
I love that title, Brave Brains. I mean, that's just a good, you picked a good title to just to inspire kids to move forward and take on that next bravery challenge, which was really helpful with one of my kiddos who had some social anxiety. We just, we sliced and diced that next little social bravery challenge. And yes. And now she's just a flaming extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wonder if one of my boys is on that trajectory. I have three boys who are now 12, 10, and 7. And one of them tends toward a little bit of that anxiety, a little bit of the like slow to warm up. I've seen that shift some as he's grown. And then there are also things that we're working on in his brain to just keep holding that even feeling nervous can be a mark of courage. You know, I think sometimes there's this misconception that to be brave, you have to feel brave, whatever that is. But really so often courage is mixed with that twist in your gut that says, I don't know if I can do this. Uh So yes, brave brains. That's my baby. Love it. So brave brains is a website. So any of our listeners can go there and get more information about brave brains, but tell us about, I know that this is not your first book, the Riley, the brave makes it to school. So in light of school coming up, you know, why did you write this book? As I was explaining before a little bit about how I've seen putting brain science in action, change everything, change relationships, change behavior, change self-esteem, all of these things. One of the sort of models of parenting that I've seen be really helpful is something that's sort of outlined in the book that is is probably in a lot of parenting, but is is defined by Dan Hughes as pace, playful, accepting, curious, and empathic. And especially for kids who've experienced some trauma in their lives, that model has been extremely helpful in sort of rewiring their brains towards safety. I love the Connected Families framework um, of having that foundation of safety because so much of my work with kids with trauma is right there. Like we are working on safety and then we're working on that next layer of connection because if, if, as you guys well know, if we don't have that, we can't get to the called and capable and, and really for kids to be able to receive our connection, our correction, mm-hmm. we have to have that, that sense of you're for me, you get me, you want to know me, you want to know how I work, even if it's different than how you work, that's okay. And I'm safe here. And, and so many of the kids that I work with haven't experienced that. And so we're working you know, with the family or with the school to to see behavior for what it is, which is sometimes asking for safety in some not safe ways or asking for connection in some in some really porcupine kind of <laughs> kind of ways. And so that's that's part of what I introduce in the Riley the Brave series is having some language, especially for young children, but really there are a number of older children and adults who have gravitated toward it as well. that you can feel what it feels like to have a porcupine moment. You know what it feels like when your quills go up and your forehead scrunches. You know what it feels like when you turtle and you just want to be under the covers, you know, or have your hoodie Uh (laughs) tied down tight and, and all covered up. We can feel that. And I think sometimes my profession in mental health has done a disservice by pathologizing, by saying everything that's wrong with how kids are behaving or how parents 
parents are reacting when really if we can start from this foundation of our brains and bodies are doing what they're designed to do. And there are things that we can do to help that shift, right? Mm-hmm. We we can we can be the boss of our brain. We can change what we're doing with our bodies, especially if we come from a place of embracing what's already there. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, as a parent, you were talking about porcupine behavior or turtle behavior. I love those phrases. Those are words that, that Riley in the book, he feels that way and he starts to act that way. And, and thankfully in the book, he has very empathetic parents who are just so kind and gentle with him and understanding that. But I know there were times when I didn't understand that porcupine behavior in my kids or the turtle behavior. And so didn't react always kind and gentle and thought time for school, let's go, you know? And so that kind of brings me to the question, like understanding anxiety behavior in our kids, I think is tough for parents. So hard. Like, so, you know, here's the question. How can a parent know if their child's been traumatized by the past year of COVID or schedules, or, you know, even their, their schooling at home, all the things that have happened in the last year, is it trauma? Is it anxiety? Like how is a parent to weed through all of that? And, you know, as they're looking at the behavior of their children, I think that question even gets to the overwhelm that so many of us are feeling right now. What do I do? What have we lost? Where, you know, where are we going? So if we can start from that place of this has been really, really hard. Yeah. And you are capable and, you know, we're getting through it and maybe there have been some beautiful bright spots, but this has been hard. We can't pretend that it's It's just been been... hard, Jessica. I think we can all say that. It's been hard. We've had to learn new ways of being, you know, I feel like every six weeks there's, (laughs) there's some new way we have to be or some new requirement of school. And change in general is a stressor. So if you think about anxiety as kind of a uh, your body's stress response, which all of us will react to a little bit differently. Sometimes some of us are more prone to the activated response where we sort of go into fight or flight, where we maybe are more prickly porcupine, or maybe those tiger claws come out and we at, you know, as adults, maybe we're the ones who snap at our partner or sort of externalize those big feelings that we're having that happens with our kids too. Or maybe we process stressors by needing a turtle moment, needing to kind of tuck away for a minute and think things through or kind of get that deer in the headlight frozen, um, can't move lethargic sort of feeling. All of those are normal stress responses that are, are designed in us to protect us. Our brains are this better safe than sorry mechanism and they get really protective. And so as we think about this last year, full of changes, full of stressors, both for you parents who are listening, as well as for your kids, it's it's understandable that we would we would experience a lot more of what what I call downstairs brain moments. All those porcupine tiger turtle moments. That's your downstairs brain. That's your protective um, sort of primal brain. You might have heard it called like your limbic system, or um, it even goes down into your brain stem. This is really primitive stuff mm-hmm. that is trying to protect us. And it tries to protect us by doing things like going and buying all the toilet paper we can find or, (laughs) right? That's a squirrel moment. There have been a lot of downstairs brain moments in the last year and a half. I think 
if I could, if I could ease the burden for you who are listening, don't worry too much about whether it's trauma or not trauma. Don't worry too much about if you've done it all right. That really we go back to that framework of safety at the foundation and connection next. Because mm-hmm. if we don't have safety, if we don't have connection, the words coming out of your mouth don't matter, really, really, truly, from a neurological perspective. So I know I, that's it's part of why I loved learning a little bit about your model, because it really fits the neurobiology that we reason is offline. So coaching, even correcting, none of that is making any sense unless the nervous system is sensing safety And I know that I matter, I'm loved, I'm valued for who I am. Weird, wonderful, you know, anxious, whatever. Porcupiney. Porcupiney. However it comes in the moment. That's right, Stacey. I love that so much. I think that's really critical because so many times parents, their kid starts to get anxious and starts to ramp up a little bit. And what kicks in is the parent's anxiety. And then they try to, you know, kind of put the lid on what the child is feeling because they're afraid of what's going to happen if it continues to spiral. So then they enter with their own anxiety and they don't communicate a message as I'm I'm for you. They communicate a message of, I want to contain you. I don't really care what you're feeling. I just want to contain this outburst. Then they become the foe instead of the friend, which the amygdala does. You know, it's like, yes, quick. Is this, a, am I dealing with a friend or a foe? You got it. I don't understand why, you know, I'm just trying to help my child calm down and they, they never want to do it. So I have parents say things like, oh yeah, I try the deep breathing thing and my child just won't do it. Or I made a calm down corner and they never go to it. And you can just <laughs> sense the frustration in their voice. And I get uh-huh. how difficult that is. But if that's the energy that they approach their child with, they go out of the friend camp into the foe camp and the child just opposes it. Thanks for that, Lynn, so much. You know, I want to get really practical after the break because this is all about back to school. So I know parents are like, hey, it's in a few weeks. I need some practical tips on how to set our family up as the school year starts. So let's go to break. And after that, we're going to get really practical. What messages do you want to send your kids in your parenting? Are you sending them? Do your kids know they are loved no matter what, even during moments of discipline? The Discipline That Connects Parenting Framework has transformed countless families, like Allison's. She says, I never wanted to be an unsafe parent. Seeing these four messages made it clear what the foundation is, safety. I wish I had felt safe, and I know I want my kids to feel it. I resonated with these messages and they remind me that there is hope and grace to be found as we parent. The four most important messages you can send your kids is free. I encourage you to go to our show notes for the link to download this free ebook. And like Allison, let it begin to transform your parenting too. 
right. Thanks, everybody. We're back from the break. Jessica and Lynn here. Jessica and Lynn, I just want to get really practical for all of the families who are really thinking like school's starting in a few weeks and I need some tools in my tool belt. I need to know some practical steps of how to set our family up for success. But before we get to those really practical things, I I want to ask you, Jessica, like what is being a turtle? What is being a tiger? (laughs) What is being a porcupine? Like these anxious things that we've kind of been weaving throughout our conversation already already. What does it really look like when it comes to Monday morning schools? (laughs) Like the bus is coming. (laughs) You're laying in bed, like, yes, you need to get out the door. What, you know, what are families facing in terms of anxiety? I think the familiar thing that probably most of you listening can relate to is that it's the, I don't want to get out of bed or I don't want to go to school. It might be, it might look like defiance. It might look like telling you, no, I'm not going. It might look like dragging your feet. It might look like, you know, picking fights and sort of bickering your way through the morning. It might look like disorganization, that scattered thinking where you can't your kiddo who you've said three times, go brush your teeth, and they just can't seem to focus to brush their teeth. It can look a lot of ways. And the the challenge that you talked about a little bit before the break is that for us as the adults, it often looks the same. We're a little frazzled. We're forgetting where we set our keys or the other thing. We're hitting snooze on the alarm four times because we're having our own turtle moment, right? So... (laughs) That's the challenge is that really for mornings to go well, it requires some proactive parenting to help handle all the big feelings because we are the big critters. We're the adults in the room. And so it really is up to us to be the more regulated ones, to be the ones that have our upstairs brain engaged, that have our calm, connected, curious, ready brain on. And so often that's not the case. Yeah. So really those, we have to think about it from a whole family perspective that this is what it looks like. And how do, how do you want your morning to go? You are a player in that. And that's me hoping I have enough safety and connection with you to do a little coaching (laughs) Um, (laughs) because it's a brain thing. Yeah. So I was coaching with a dad who had that kind of a realization about his morning. Once he slowed down and really was asking that foundation question of what's going on with me, he realized how much he was downloading his stress into his kiddo in the morning because he'd yell from across, come on, go brush your teeth. And he'd yell from across the room. And so he started going to his son getting down low. And he said, I started to whisper with a smile on my face. And it was like, I totally had his attention. And he began to much more successfully do what I was asking him to do. I've never thought about scattered behavior or having to tell my child three times to brush their teeth because they're not just not doing it as anxiety. But that's what you're saying it is. I'm not saying it definitely is, but I am saying that's a nervous system that's that's dysregulated. So this is part of why I, I think labels can be confusing sometimes because maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's excitement, maybe it's whatever it is, it's a nervous system that's ramped up. And so if my nervous system is ramped up 
too. And I'm yelling across the house like the dad and, and getting frustrated and furrowing my brow and raising my voice or my hand. We're just escalating together. But if I can get low and slow, or if I can put a little fun into it, instead of the alarm, blast, you know, 80s rock hits or, you know, your favorite praise music, whatever it is, like blast something, blast your sing along, you know, karaoke mix. Jessica, hold up because I play Mandisa's song. What is it? The morning song. It's a good morning. (laughs) And my kids, it drives them crazy. Good morning. It's time to rise and shine. Oh, my mom sang me that one. Son, in a memory moment, just within the last month. It's so good, it's, isn't it? Song is so powerful, both for the, from the playful side, but also to keep us regulated. I'm not yelling at my son if I'm singing "Good morning, good morning, good morning." You know, uh-huh. <laughs> that's I'm not yelling. I can't yell and sing at the same time. So you know, infusing a little play into your morning, which again requires us as the adults to have our upstairs brain on because uh-huh. that's where play lives. But instead of getting frustrated when they're not getting dressed, you know, putting putting the the socks on your ears or getting a little silly with some of the things that we do to help wake up that upstairs brain, whether it's anxiety, yeah, excitement, maybe there's some inattention due to other things. I don't know. There's lots of reasons that can happen. But for your morning to go more smoothly, our brain being on and ready mm-hmm. is going to just smooth Yeah, it's just going to smooth things out. I think another thing that can really help kids with morning stress is predictability. If they know what's going to happen. We went into the classroom with my most anxious child so she could meet her teacher and just get a tour around the classroom, get excited. So she had a, a vision, a visualization of where she was heading. Um, and that was super helpful as well. That's huge. That, that predictability, even, you know, one of my boys would say his favorite part of the day in kindergarten was when they went over the schedule. He needed to know what was coming and then uh, he could relax into learning. He's a super curious kid, loves learning, but he needed to, he needed something to hang the day on. And that really helped him. So we can do that with our mornings as well. We can do it with the afternoons, you know, have that 30 minute like decompression snack time and 20 minutes outside. And then if we need to get some homework out, we can get that going or like just having some of those routines. Then we start our our chores or whatever it is so that we're we're creating a rhythm that's going to work for our kids, for our family. So we've mentioned a couple of different specific tools that parents can do. We've talked about humor. We've talked about routine. What other specific tools would you say we could give parents as they're thinking about moving into the fall and the new school year, Jessica? I like the idea of having some kind of, you know, whether it's a a checklist or Lynn was mentioning an app that's helpful, giving kids something that they can refer to so that it's not us nagging them. (laughs) Did you brush your teeth? Did you get your clothes? Did you did 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 nobody likes that. (laughs) That's not fun for any of us. So having something concrete, maybe it's a Velcro choice board, whatever, if you're creative type, great. It can just be pencil and paper where you're making things visual for kids. That's another anxiety stress reducer is when we can get things to be visual. Yeah, those are good. Lynn, I wonder if you have any tips, any resources that you would like to throw in for parents also. 
Yeah, I just I was starting to mention that we'll include the link to a tip on after school transitions that are very sensory based to try to create the scenario for the best success coming home from that difficult transition because kids often come home, they've been cooped up, overstressed, overstimulated, and then they offload that stress on the family. So that's, that's a helpful tool. And then there's just some other books that I have been familiar with. Uh, a lot of parents, there's a faith-based series called Good News for Little Hearts. And there's one on social anxiety called Buster Tries to Bail. A couple of books for parents, just parenting books that really dovetail with this is The Opposite of Worry by Lawrence Cohen. And he's also written Playful Parenting. Yes. Familiar with him. Yes. And then Attachment Play by Aletha Solter. Parents have loved those books when they get into that play that you were talking about. There's practical tips in those. And then there's a couple of other books that you can read with kids, When My Worries Get Too Big and Arnie's School Tools, another tool that uses animals like yours, and it's called Connection Zoo. And it's aimed mostly at school-age kids, started by a business executive who reflected back on her school years and how much she dealt with anxiety. Her story is Growing up, I didn't know how to talk about my anxiety or ask for help. When my anxiety made it difficult to breathe, the only tool I had was a paper bag. While it helped me calm my breathing at the moment, it did nothing to teach me that it was okay to talk about what I was experiencing or how to help. My journey was tougher than it needed to be. So she partnered with her son, Taylor, who's majored in product design and had seen his college classmates struggling with anxiety in relationships. So they made this deck of cards about animals again. So it could be a good follow-up to your book with you know, lots of detailed cards about very unusual animals about emotions. How fun. I love that. Lots of good resources, Lynn. We're going to put all of these links in our show notes. I have one more to to throw in there. I know we talked about some that are good for younger kids. Another organization that does some great work is Go Zen. They have some videos and, and little things that tweens and even teens can engage with. So it's nice to to find something that that age group can engage with if they're kind of out of the picture book stage. An interesting title. Do you ever see anything in some of those resources that you feel like parents need to come alongside and kind of, so what do you think Zen is all about? And how do you think that fits with faith? And do you ever have any questions about that as with some of these resources? Many, many resources. There's some caveat that I have, whether it's about faith or the science behind it or the message of deficit as opposed to strength. We do have to be conscious of those kinds of things. With the Go Zen material, I have found that it it really centers on what's happening in the body and, and being in charge of what's happening in our bodies and brains. And that can be really empowering. So I, I haven't had that with that resource in particular, but I feel like there's always some nuance or some caveat that I do want us to be able to discuss together. And that's part of why that, that connection is just so important because we want our kids to know that they can talk to us about whatever questions they have as they're out in the world. Well, thanks, Jessica and Lynn, for all of those resources. We will be sure to put those links and the names of those books in our show notes today. This has been a really 
practical conversation, which I love. I feel like one of the key themes was just that no matter how our children show up in the morning, if it looks like just being disgruntled or scattered or whatever the aggravating behavior is that we are seeing in the morning in the conversation around getting ready for school, whether it's anxiety or not, we want to be safe parents and we want to connect first and then we can be proactive about that. And we can put together kind of a plan ahead of time for how we want our mornings to go. And so all of the resources that both of you mentioned are going to really help parents for that, put together a plan for that. And so I thank you for that. Is there any final comments that you would like to add, Lynn? No, I just am excited for parents to take a look at Jess's book. It was really so well written for parents, particularly adoptive parents, but could generalize to lots of others to give them practical tools to empower their kiddos to work through those stresses and come out the other side feeling good about their success. So Jessica, any final comment around anxiety and back to school? Well, I feel like I would be, I would be missing something if I don't also mention there's a, the book that came out right before this was what's inside your backpack. And it really helps talk about digging into those things that we're dragging around with us. Sometimes anxiety is specifically about, I don't know how to talk to people at school because I've only been on zoom or I, you know, had a really hard time during COVID or something happened in my family that was unexpected. And that book really dives into some of the practical resilience building strategies in in those situations as well. Great. Well, thanks for being on the show today, Jessica. Thanks, Lynn, for joining me as podcast host today. I appreciate that. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. We want to hear from you. What did you find helpful from today's episode? Let us know by sharing a comment. While you are there, please rate and review so that others can find us more easily. There are many ways that you can connect with us. Over the last months, we have been using Clubhouse to have live conversations and fun interactions. Every Wednesday at 7.30 a.m. Central Time, we open powerful prayers for our kids hour. We would love to have you join us. Well, to find all the information mentioned in this podcast and for more information on Clubhouse or Connected Families, go to our show notes or connectedfamilies.org. See you next time.